At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I sat down with legendary baker and cookbook author Rose Levy Berenbaum. You'll remember her from her iconic books like The Cake Bible and Pie and Pastry Bible, and from genius recipes like Chocolate Oblivion Truffle Tort and Fresh Blueberry Pie. And now, she's back with a new cookbook, Finally, we get the Cookie Bible. Like all of her other books, it is impeccably precise and infallible, with plenty of well-tested ideas for riffing and mixing and matching recipes. But a little discussed side of Rose is her warmth and personality, which you will definitely hear in this episode. We will get to talk with her about some of her more playful recipe titles and stories later on. But first, here she is to tell us about how her long, happy relationship with baking began. When I started getting interested in baking was when I was really a pretty little girl. My grandmother lived with us, and she was from the old country, meaning Russia. And of course, she knew how to bake bread and pies and I'm sure everything else, but she didn't like doing it. And she also was not a good cook because she didn't like doing it. And even then I was a foodie. I mean, if something didn't taste good to me, which most things didn't, and when you don't like what you're doing, generally it isn't that good. And so her food was not great and I would refuse to eat and she would offer me money to just taste something. But one day she made an apple pie <laughs> and that was transitional. I mean, I don't know how somebody who never baked could make something so good because it must have come from her childhood or as a young mother. But I said to her, this I'll eat. And she said, and this I won't be making mm. again because it's too much work and not worth the effort. And I thought, what? Here's somebody who's begging me to eat, paying me to eat. And I finally found something I love to eat and she's not going to make it again. You know, too much effort. Well, let me tell you, my whole life is too much effort in that case because I love baking. And I didn't actually start baking myself until I was about 19 when uh, we had no tradition of sweets in the house except something that was store-bought. And if it wasn't stone fresh the same day opened, again, I wouldn't eat it. I was very picky. Now I'm a little less picky, but not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you just had good taste. <laughs> well, I guess I am one of those super tasters. What made you realize you were a super taster? Well, I took a class with Tim Hanai in Napa, I think it was a St. Helena, and mm -hmm. he gave classes on taste and to evaluate whether you could taste or not. And he asked me how I had my coffee, and I said, cream and sugar. And he said, do you 
dislike bitterness. And I said, intensely. And he said, then you are probably a super taster. But the, what confirmed it was I was used to use a treadmill gym near where I lived. And on the floor was a women's magazine about how to tell if you're a super taster. So the, the instructions went, gum to reinforcement and put it on your tongue, starting from the center to the side, and then use a little food color. Of course, I always had food color for my baking with a Q-tip and dab it in the center. Use a magnifier to count the circumvaliate papilla. That I remember. <laughs> All the little bumps on the tongue. Wow. And it said, if you only have seven, then you don't have any sense of taste. But if you have, say, 10 to 15, then you're a super taster. I stopped counting when I got cross-eyed at 30. Wow. And I thought, oh, no wonder. You know, ever since then, I've paid attention. In fact, I bought the book by Del Addison, I think it is, Natural History of Taste. And apparently cows have more taste buds than any human being. And somebody proposed to me that maybe it's because they have wow. a steady diet of grass, so they have to have some interest in all the variations of it. Isn't it <laughs> it's fascinating when she talks about taste. So, of course, I got very wow. interested. But I don't think being a super taster necessarily means that you're going to be a better cook or baker. It just means you're capable of perception and maybe more finicky and precise. Sometimes I think maybe I'm being more exacting than I really need to be for most people. But I'm glad to have that ability. That's so interesting. I know for some people, being a super taster can sort of feel like a curse because it can make some flavors and textures sort of overwhelming and and, mm -hmm. and make eating a less pleasant experience. But it seems like in your case, you've been able to harness it in this incredible way in your career. That's interesting because I have cousins who have perfect pitch and I was so envious of that. And she said, no, it's a curse because I can always hear when anything is out of tune and it bothers me. I hadn't thought of it that way. But but often in a restaurant in the past, when I was still going to restaurants before COVID, if something wasn't good, I would imagine how it ought to be. And I would get halfway mm. through realizing I hated it, but it's too late to say I'm giving it back if you've already eaten half your meal. So now I try <laughs> to make a rule of deciding right in the beginning if I like it or not. So when you first started baking, what were the sorts of things that you were baking when you were 19? The first thing that I made, I think, was from the joy of cooking. It had been a wedding present. Spice cake, I think. It was a white cake with spices. And the description in the headnote was that it had an incredibly even soft texture, which was just what I was looking for. Because the first cake that I tasted that was homemade was made from scratch, but it didn't have a good texture. And I thought, what a pity, because I had had birthday cakes that were you know, had a really good texture, but they were box cakes from people's parties. So I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to have a cake that had this soft texture? And so I followed the directions to the letter. And this is how little I knew. It was wonderful, except it had spices and it tasted like spice. And I thought, well, duh, you know, it's called spice cake. I hadn't really noticed that that was part of it. You know? <laughs> I mean, I had no education in baking or food. I just knew I better follow things to the letter because otherwise it wouldn't work. So it's pretty impressive that I got such a good cake, despite the flavor. We'll be back with the rest of our conversation with Rose in just a moment. You 
reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. And we're back with Rose Levy Berenbaum, who just came out with her newest cookbook, The Cookie Bible. The Cake Bible and all of your other books have had this incredible precision, such dedication to testing and perfecting the recipes down to the gram. How did you go from that joy of cooking recipe to, to become a creating the recipes that you do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I had Paula Peck's book, that little paperback book, and I started baking from it and it was wonderful, but I couldn't decide which one to make because they were so similar and she didn't explain how they'd be different or why make one rather than the other. So when I started writing, I wanted to give an understanding of not only what to expect, but if you wanted to change things, how you could, with the, you know, or God forbid, substituting because it's never the same. But on the other hand, if you want to try it, it's fine to see what happens, just not to substitute more than one thing. So I learned early on from my experiments that it was important to have a repeatability, to write down what I'd done. And if I wanted to fix something, to say, you know, to make notes about what I had done. And I really wanted people to have the experience of succeeding, especially for my recipes, that I didn't have when I started baking. Actually, before I made that cake, I made an oatmeal cookie. And I'm always telling this story because it was a cookie. It was only one cookie. It was supposed to be many cookies, but it bled into itself and it became <laughs> one cookie on the mm -hmm. cookie sheet. And it was on the box of the Quaker's oatmeal. And you would think, I mean, of course, they didn't put weights in those days, but you would think that the volume would be correct when somebody's trying to sell a product, you know. So I was very disappointed and I didn't start start baking again for a couple of years until I didn't make that cake. And the cake was a more positive experience. Yes, it, the cake got me started thinking this is, this is doable and I'm going to do a lot more. Wow. Well, let's be sure to take a step back and talk about the cookie Bible. Can we start at the beginning and can you tell us what it was that you were hoping to do with the cookie Bible? It was to improve or perfect anything that hadn't been to my mind in my last book, Cookie Book, and then to add all the wonderful things that I've learned and experienced since. I did a translation of the French book, La Passion de Chocolat, Bernachon in France, The Passion for Chocolate. And there were four recipes that I really wanted to perfect because it was not supposed to be a translation. Well, was supposed to be a translation, not a revision. I tried to be as true as I could to what they had done. So they're included in the book. And then there are several recipes from colleagues and friends that I loved that I wanted to include. Erin Jean McDowell, mm. when we were working on the ice cream book, 
I was on the computer all day to see what she had done so we could discuss it. She was testing something for her site or her book. And I fell in love with it. And I said, oh, can I put that in? You know, it's her jam cookies, oh. jam cookie bars. And, the, and then there was another one. I don't like blondies normally, but these were so good. Usually I find them too sweet. These had enough else going for it. So most people don't know that Erin, who wears a, a kerchief all the time, has those beautiful blonde, light blonde, curly hair. So I called it Blondie's Blondie's. I wanted to actually talk to you about the names because some of the the recipes in this book just leap out because of their names. Um, the ones that I'm thinking of are ones like Lemon Lumpies and the Banana Custard Cuddle Cookies and so many other very evocative and charming names that make you instantly want to make those cookies just to sort of know what a Lemon Lumpy is. Can you tell us some of the stories behind those? Well, to start with the Lemon Lumpies... When we were on book tour, uh, Annie Baker in Napa has a cookie business and she never gives out the recipe and people are always trying to imitate it and it's never anywhere close. But I wanted to make something as close as I could. I knew it would never be exactly like hers, but it also has my favorite one of all the ones that she has is the, the one with lemon zest and white chocolate. And normally I would think white chocolate would be too sweet, but the lemon zest counterpoints it and it's just wonderful. So that's lemon lumpies. And the other one, the cuddle cookies. I love the word cuddle. There's nothing more cozy sounding than Mm -hmm. cuddle. You have spent decades writing cookie recipes and now are coming back to some of them in the cookie Bible, but also writing new ones. Are there ways that your approach to baking cookies has changed or are there any new tips you've discovered? I love cookies so much. I've included them in every almost every book I've written, even if it was about pies. Cookies are kind of pastry. They're pastry cookies. So much has changed, it's hard to even begin. I mean, I think what I changed here in the new book is that I recommend using super fine sugar for most cookies, especially when you want to make holiday cookies and you want to be able to decorate them because coarser sugar, like the fine granulated that's more commonplace, the cookies will often crack or have little cracks and be less smooth. But one day it occurred to me, and I don't remember how many books back, and it could be just with this book, that if you start with the sugar if, as much as possible and you use just regular fine granulated, you can grind it to be super fine and then continue with the rest of the ingredients. And it's quick so things don't get overheated. That way you can not necessarily have to refrigerate the dough before shaping it. So that was one of the big things. And also new technology and new ideas like I wanted my chocolate chip cookies to be unique because otherwise what's the point of another chocolate chip cookie? So I started thinking, what is it that I don't like about ones I've had in the past? Because of course it's a classic, wonderful cookie. And I realized that I find most things too sweet. And people often write on the blog or social media, I'm so glad you use less sugar than most people because the things are so sweet. So I'm glad that the trend is to baking less sweet. So less sugar. Also, I don't want to taste little points of salt. I don't want fleur de sel on top of things. I want it to be balanced in with the rest of the ingredients. So that was one thing. But the really big thing was to clarify the butter to make it brown butter, bernoisette, which in French is the color of a hazelnut skin, because That way you're getting rid of some of the water, so it'll be a crispier cookie, less puffy, flatter. And also you're getting the wonderful flavor of the clarified butter. And what's more, I finally discovered that I can add the brown solids that usually either people throw out or I say add it to mashed potatoes or freeze it when you're making bread. 
But instead, I added it to the cookies, so it even had an extra dimension of flavor. So lots has changed since you wrote Rose's Christmas Cookies. I think so. <laughs> and people's willingness to follow recipes. How many books start off saying, read the recipe completely before you start doing it, you know? And now people get, get the idea that if you don't, you're, you're in for some surprises. Mm -hmm. I think I have a different audience now. And I'm not for the, maybe the new generation of TikTok that want to learn things in one minute. Uh, I don't think I write for that generation, but I'm not looking to conquer the world. I just want to share with the people who value what I value. And there are enough of them. Thank goodness. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Rose Levy Barenbaum for sitting with me for this episode. Be sure to order your copy of The Cookie Bible. And if you're also a cake person or pie and pastry person or bread person, Rose has Bibles for those too. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Phrase Studios. If you have a favorite flawless cookie recipe, I would love to hear about it at geniusfood52.com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. Or just send this episode to someone who could use some lemon lumpies in their life. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.